Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, October 9th, 2023, the 992nd day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. Now, I am not sure if the internet has settled on a hashtag yet, but I am certain that one is on the way for the events of this weekend. Now, we are told and are being shown that there was a violent terrorist attack, an attack led by Hamas against Israel and the people of Israel over the weekend. In the last 
48 or so hours since this entire storyline began. We have been seeing video after video after video of atrocities against the Israeli people. And some of these videos come along with complete character breakdowns, full backstories. We get to know how kind or caring or important or artistic the character is so that we can feel that much worse about the atrocity we are being shown in video on the Internet. Now, to the extent that these videos represent real things that happened in the real world, they are absolutely atrocities and we can feel sympathy for the victims of these atrocities and pray for these people and that the violence will stop. But we should also be realistic about what it is we are seeing and what it is we are seeing so far are videos on the Internet. And we are being told an elaborate story about what these videos represent. And that elaborate story includes its own backstory that we are expected to know. And because of that, we pretend to know it, whether or not we do know it or how well we know it. We pretend to know it well enough to take part in conversations regarding this issue on how our country will react and how our country should react. And if we are told at any point that it is clear we don't know the entire backstory that this new story is being layered on top of, we are not allowed to talk about anything this time. We're just going to have to take the position we're told to take by the people who really, really know what happened because we can't possibly know what happened. They are the experts this time. We need to listen to the experts. This was also true back in 2017 when we had that whole hashtag me too movement. We were told you must trust women. You must believe women. If some woman claimed that she had been sexually assaulted in any way or subject to any sexual impropriety whatsoever, she had to be believed because what kind of woman would come out and falsely accuse a man of sexual assault or rape or sexual harassment or any of it and be lying about that? That would be a terrible person. What kind of woman would do that? Are you saying Women would do that? Are you trying to belittle their plight? You couldn't even suggest at that point that it was not actually a rock-solid, unshakable principle that women would always tell the truth about sexual assault. Because most of us, if not all of us, understand that sometimes women lie. Sometimes men lie. Sometimes women lie. Therefore, you could never, ever be on rock-solid, unshakable ground if you are going to say that about this subject, women would never lie. That makes no sense in the world. That is for stupid people. If someone tries to tell you that that is actually true and wise, that person is trying to take advantage of you. And there is a very strong chance that that person is the woman, metaphorically, who lies. They're trying to create the principle that women would never lie about this sort of thing so that when they, in particular, lie about this sort of thing, 
everyone knows you can't say it. You got to say, well, no woman would ever lie about that. Therefore, it's true. So for a while there, people in the mainstream, standard issue, uniparty villagers, which I was not back then, by the way, I supported zero things in Me Too and made fun of it online. I referred to it as hashtag Me Too because the Me Too movement is not itself identifiable with rape or sexual assault or sexual harassment. The Me Too movement was a hashtagged PR campaign meant to drive powerful men out of their jobs. Now, some of those men were probably very bad men, and some of them probably did the things that they're accused of. I have no problem believing that there are bad, powerful men. In fact, I know it for a fact, and I know probably more of them than most people in this country. So you don't need to convince me that there are bad, powerful men. I also know there are bad, powerful men who try to sexually overpower women. I've been exposed to that. Then probably over 99.99999% of the entire world. I've also seen it work in reverse. Isn't that crazy? Powerful women sexually overpower and sexually harass young men. Do they do it? Oh, yes, they absolutely do. Do they brag about it because it's funny when it happens to men? Yup, sure is. So I know people are bad. I know people are bad sexually. I know they sexually harass. I know men abuse women and women abuse men. I know that stuff happens in the real world, and I have sympathy for that in the real world and have been myself subject to some of it in the real world. And you know what? There may even be people in the real world who thought I was inappropriate with them. And I hope that's not true. But if it is, I hope I get to apologize to them or have a conversation because it's very likely that we see a similar situation in two different ways. This is how the world works, and we can talk like adults about it. But what we can't do is allow the fact that some people are victimized be turned around on us to shame us into our sympathies driving our reactions and emotional torment meant to guide our reactions in a certain way, meant to convince us to support something abominable. This is a cycle we have to break and we need to be able to talk about these things and think about these things without falling victim to that mental and emotional torment that is going to be applied by society and by culture until you do what you're told. And that is what Me Too ended up ultimately being about. That wasn't a movement for women. It was often very powerful women going after even more powerful men when they had some life interaction that didn't go the way they wanted or expected. And again, we're speaking in generalizations here. I know there are individual situations that are fully justifiable in the emotional content, the reality of the situation, and how people would have or should have or did react. I understand that. In general, the hashtag Me Too movement did not serve women. It did not accomplish the lofty goals it set out to accomplish. 
What it did was create vacancies across the executive boards and in major leadership positions or positions of public power in companies who are all aligned with the World Economic Forum right before they began implementing their race and gender agendas and their COVID agendas. And who did they target directly? Straight white men. Who did they replace them with? Oh, women of color and alternate gender identities. Oh, wait, you mean men who say they're women are going to replace those men. Well, what could be more pro-woman than that? When you look at the net effects of Me Too and you look at what society did to itself for six months or a year, and you see how they used it all to go after Trump, And you stack that up against all of the real women out there whose lives were destroyed by some creep and pervert man who were then helped or healed in some way by the hashtag me too campaign. What does it look like all of that was about? It's not helping women. And of course, the same thing was true for the Black Lives Matter movement. Black Lives Matter didn't help black people. What they did was lie about crime and stage these false flag events that would then cause a national uproar, events they could barely even describe even when they were on video. Breonna Taylor was shooting at the cops. She wasn't in bed sleeping when they just execution style murdered her with a shotgun in her apartment on a no-knock warrant. That was never true. Jacob Blake was going after the cops with a knife in his hand. And they got called to that house because he had come over and digitally violated, let's say, his baby mama to accuse her of cheating. That was the BLM hero, that same summer of love. And George Floyd, the man who held a gun to a pregnant woman's belly while his buddies robbed her, that guy who the coroner says died of a fentanyl overdose. Well, we burned down the country for him. We all posted black squares on Instagram to say that we too were totally committed to solving racism so long as it only required posting on social media or, you know, going out for a block party one day this year and drawing our little chalk pictures on the ground, like show all the other kids how good an artist you are, Sally. The country was burned down in favor of all that. And all of the little child brains out there clapped and played along. They asked everyone to give them social credit. Look, I like the blacks. No, I like the blacks. And I guess that black Americans have been so beaten down by the educational and cultural systems in this country that they actually thought, oh, yeah, maybe this is kind of nice. Everyone went along because you would be emotionally and reputationally punished if you didn't. They would go after you. You had to reaffirm on command that black lives matter. Isn't it amazing that people think that needed to be reaffirmed? I mean, who's out there saying that black lives don't matter? Oh, yeah, it's Democrats that teach that as the state of the world. Everyone they are allowed to educate grows up knowing that there are people out there who think that black people and black lives, quote unquote, so demeaning a term in the first place, 
but that they don't matter. Democrats not wanting to actually do anything, then declare to everybody that they are the only people who understand just how much black lives matter. They matter so much, almost as much as ours. They won't say that, but they think it. And I'll prove to you in a million different ways that they do indeed think it. And that's in addition, of course, to being in extraordinarily liberal environments for 20 years of my adult life and meeting thousands and thousands and thousands of people. I am absolutely 100% far beyond the shadow of a doubt certain that these people absolutely do think that some people's lives simply do not matter. And it's not just black people. Of course, these people are committed to a depopulation agenda overall. That's part of what the climate change agenda is. And they will also talk about the population part as long as you don't accuse them of being in favor of depopulation first. If you don't let them know that that is why you're asking, they will gladly tell you, hey, Kami, are there too many people on the planet? Yes. How do you know? Well, <laughs> do you see uh, all the plastic in the ocean? Yes, Kami, I uh, see there are pictures of plastic in the ocean. Yes, I do see that. How does that mean there are too many people on the planet? Well, that means that we're going to take up too many of the resources. Okay, Kami, okay. Now, as soon as you get into asking them questions like, how are we going to have less people? That conversation's going to be over and you're going to be a conspiracy theorist, even though that communist just said that a whole bunch of people on the planet need to die because otherwise it's going to get too hot. And there's another one, of course, if you don't go along with the climate change thing, you're a science denier. You're stupid for not believing that the entire world will drown unless we stop using plastic straws. But the climate change thing, it just doesn't really have the ability to go past you're stupid, you're stupid, except if you are like one of those really radical, deranged kind of ADD communists out there who's like gluing his hands to the street. They would get emotional about it. They would say you're killing everyone. But the race thing, the race thing is huge. And that's why BLM had such a good summer with their Antifa buddies. The BLM people would go out and they would just chant racist things while they marched around the street. And then Antifa would come out dressed all in black and they would go beat people up. They would go break into stores. And hey, commies, what a really great touch you put on that whole not being racist thing by spending the last three years filming black people breaking into the Nike store and running out with merchandise. That'll help. But we had Antifa running around, burning, looting, assaulting police officers, trying to assault and burn down the federal courthouse, taking over city blocks, straight up murdering people. And you couldn't say a word about it. You couldn't say a word about it. Because if you did, then you were racist. You weren't solving racism. I bet you're one of those people who didn't even put up a black square. We were told by powerful people in this country that all that Antifa violence was actually justified in service of solving racism, which it was bound to do. Even though I guess we're told at least we have even more racism now, and it's been three and a half years. 
It's like the people who tell us they're trying to solve our problems are really just committed to making them worse. But think about the emotional impact of hashtag Black Lives Matter, hashtag BLM. You got the commie fist out there everywhere. They support that. It doesn't mean communism anymore, at least not the bad kind. They attempt to defund the police. They do it in some places, but then they restored the funding. But don't worry, they spent it on different things, different things. The police force in many cities will not be the same as it was for a long time. And naturally, there are aspects of change that are always good. But we know what the global agenda is. Eliminate local police forces, replace them with federal police forces, all run from the imperial capital in Washington, D.C., the proxy state of the global regime. They will decide what cops all around the country do, and they will have full surveillance and all the data so they can really decide to destroy the life of anyone they want at any time. And defund the police was part of the movement that leads eventually toward that agenda. You don't have to take my word for it. Think about everything they're already doing. Then think, well, what would that lead to? Then figure out whether or not they have a program exactly like that or that they're pushing for a program exactly like that. You will see the answer is yes. And you will be one piece closer to completing your full mental map of the global agenda. You might remember that during the summer of 2020 and actually maybe even into 2021, they were pushing to reconstrue racism as a public health emergency so that they could take more government power and do things without the approval of any legislature. If you argued against any of it, any single piece of that agenda, then you were racist. And depending on how liberal the circles you traveled in were, you might have to go through with the entire thing. You might have to read the anti-racist book and post online about how you are anti-racist, because if you don't, they're going to ask you why you're not. That absolutely happened in June of 2020. If you failed to put up a black square on Instagram, people would think there's something wrong with you. Oh my God, he didn't put up the black square. I know people in the entertainment industry who were hounded by their people, their agents, their managers, asking them to put up the black square. Why aren't you putting up the black square? Please just put up the black square. This is what they do for narratives they must sell and narratives they're going to have a hard time selling. That is when the biggest emotional and reputational punishment is added on. Now, why would you need to add on emotional and reputational punishment for failing to comply with expressing a certain opinion about a subject that you really don't know anything about? They are already asking you to lie when you declare that you know what the proper response is because you don't and you are out there promoting a quote unquote solution for a problem you know nothing about that comes with it, extraordinary risk, a very likely chance of failure, and undeniable moral consequences, like people might die, children might be harmed. And in the total inversion within the false reality, it actually makes sense. This issue is so important that you, 
being a person who doesn't really know anything about it. Well, you need to totally delegate your decision-making authority to whomever the most powerful people in the world tell you are the experts. You do not make this decision. I'm sorry. You're just not capable of making this decision. So the only morally good thing you can do is allow someone else to make the decision for you. Who will decide for me? You might ask, well, whoever they tell you in this case, who will it be? Will it be Ben Shapiro? Will he be the person whose opinion you feel like must closely represent yours enough? Sure. You know, he lied about COVID and masks and lockdowns and election fraud and the insurrection and vaccines. He told everybody, get the vaccine dopes. But in this instance, well, he's certainly closer to our set of beliefs than someone on MSNBC or CNN, right? I mean, he's expressing a different opinion than CNN and MSNBC, isn't he? Oh, yeah. See, he is. See, Ben Shapiro hates Palestinians and MSNBC loves Palestinians. So they've got totally different opinions about that thing. But, oh, yeah, they agree about each and every other fact of the scenario. Got it. So they're just in opposition under a controlled set of circumstances that keeps them firmly attached to the central narrative at every moment. Therefore, whoever listens to them will end up affirming the central narrative for themselves, thereby keeping them and anyone they talk to attached to that central narrative. Now I see what's happening, but listen to Ben Shapiro. If you want to, that's up to you. It's not up to me. I'm talking about how the media works and how culture influences people and their decisions and how people then under nothing but the influence of culture go out and advocate for extreme decisions that have a really profound moral magnitude and consequence on virtually no information, understanding that within the total inversion in the false reality, it is actually good and moral to delegate your moral decision-making to someone else. Once that person has been identified as an expert. And that's what we did all throughout COVID. Everyone was told you're not a scientist. You're a science denier. You're a vaccine denier. You're not a scientist. You're not an expert. You don't know about these things. Where did you get your science degree? My uncle is a virologist. My sister's boyfriend studied epidemiology. My uncle is an accountant at the CDC. People were so convinced that they needed to be experts or claim expertise to be able to say anything about COVID that they actually would pretend that if someone lived near the CDC, they were more of an expert. <sighs> yeah, well, I'm a barista right down the street from the CDC, and I talk with those CDC doctors every day. And let me tell you, those masks work. Well, okay, Katrina, I wasn't sure till now, but if you are a barista a half mile away from the CDC, there is a very good chance that this is what pushes it over the edge for me on masks. After the election, we were told that election workers had to be believed about the elections because they were on the ground. They were close. They know how elections work and we can't possibly understand that. Just being 
normal people with access to the information about how elections work. We can't possibly figure that out. Not enough to not enough to check for ourselves. Not enough to listen to arguments about how election fraud might have happened. We should just listen to the experts. Experts from both parties say that the elections were just fine. Therefore, the elections are fine. Judges, even some appointed by Donald Trump, decided not to take the election fraud cases. And that's all I need to know. I mean, the justice system has never let any of us down. Judges don't make wrong decisions. I mean, unless it's like a racial issue and then you can't trust judges ever. But judges would never, ever, ever, ever lie about an election. And they would never abdicate their duty and decide not to see a case. And naturally, none of these people know there are still cases open. So they think that that is a slam dunk of an argument. The election, to their understanding, has not been overturned in the courts, even though some elections have been deemed unconstitutional by the courts. They don't care. They don't care. They've inquired with all the experts. The experts say elections are free and fair, safe and secure, and that the reported results accurately reflect the will and intent of the American voter. That is all anyone needs to know. It's an important issue. If you say that our elections aren't perfect, they're going to say that you are repeating the big lie. That means you are falling victim to Nazi propaganda because you guessed it. You're a Nazi. That's some pretty extraordinary emotional and reputational consequence for failing to comply with repeating the recommended slogan to support the central narrative. You fail to comply. You will be destroyed emotionally by culture and people may try to destroy your reputation. You are not allowed to speak out about this thing. You don't know enough about it. You're not an expert. You have to listen to the experts. If you don't listen to the experts, you're a bad person. This is not one of those things that people just get to decide in our democracy. It doesn't matter if 90% of the country is against this thing we're going to do. They're the 90% who don't get any say, but Our elections are free and fair, safe and secure, and the reported results accurately reflect the will and intent of the American voter. It's just on this one issue that we can't allow 90% of the people to have a say. You see, the 10% of the people, those are the people who know what's going on with this issue. And because we are a society that values expertise and values information, we are going to leave it up to the only 10% of people who know what's up with this issue. And then they'll decide. And the cool thing is they all agree. And so does the entire portion of the country who understands how important experts are. Now that means that everybody is right except for you. Now you could stand over there and be wrong about this stuff and see how long it takes for us to destroy your life Or you can simply change your opinion, change your position, support us as hard as you know how, and then we promise you're going to suffer a little less. And of course, all of this was going on while they were doing the same thing with COVID, while they were doing the same thing with BLM. They still had a little layer of me too under there the whole time, you know, because Trump is the grab him by the pussy guy. So you had to keep that going. 
And then you add on the election fraud, you get all the way up to the very violent insurrection. You couldn't support the J6ers at all. You had to call them out as Trump supporters. You had to say that the whole thing was an act of white privilege. You had to say it was white supremacy. Racism was still very effective. Why not use it? Why not use it to sell this ridiculous Reichstag fire of a false flag event on January 6th? Blame it all on Trump supporters. Throw in the racism. Everyone's going to go along with it. No one likes Trump or his supporters. It's not a hate movement. We just hate them because of how awful they are. And we want to make sure that we imprison as many of them as possible and make sure that no one can ever hear from them again. It's not a hate movement, but you have to admit, come on, these people are awful. These Trump supporters, they actually tried to make it so that you would be punished emotionally and reputationally if you didn't hate Trump and his supporters enough. If you didn't go right along with the hate movement, you were going to get punished. And all of the best people in the hate movement you know, the ones who are the most anti-racist, they loved that their power was now fully in bloom and they continued to use it. They moved right into the mandated vaccines and told everyone that if you don't inject yourself with a toxic experimental substance that can't protect you from a disease that can't kill you, you were killing grandma and you were going to endure extraordinary emotional and reputational consequences. They were going to attempt to get you fired from your job. If your employer wouldn't do it, they were going to attempt to make you as toxic as possible so that everyone would want to punish you. You simply would not go along and try to end this whole very real pandemic. Everyone else was risking their lives to end the pandemic. And they knew it, even though they said they weren't. And you weren't helping. Then we got to Ukraine. Everybody had to support Ukraine. Hashtag Slava Ukraini. Slava Ukraini! Our representatives wearing little blue and yellow flag pins next to their American flag pins or as part of the same pin, an American flag and a Ukraine flag. Ukraine flags up in Congress. The Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives, we are told, Nancy Pelosi, Sing Slava Ukraini. It's like the capital city isn't even American and that its Americanness is the trick. They had their own supporters literally denying the existence of Nazis in Ukraine and the history of Nazism in Ukraine because we were told that the leader of Ukraine, the comedic actor, Volodymyr Zelensky, was himself part Jewish, so there's no way that these could be Nazis despite the eight-decade-long documented history of them being Nazis and the more recent history of them being trained by the CIA. And if people didn't go along with it, they were going to be emotionally and reputationally punished, severely depending on how liberal the circles you travel in are. But here's the new twist. It wasn't just liberals this time. It wasn't just the standard issue uniparty left villagers. It was the standard issue uniparty right villagers as well, because they've been trained for decade after decade after decade to hate Russia throughout the Cold War. You got to hate Russia. Russia were our allies in World War II. Russia were the world's allies in World War II. 
Russia were the people who defeated the Nazis. They had a big, big hand in that. And we are told that Vladimir Putin is a very brutal dictator. And we must protect Ukraine's sovereign borders and Russia is a communist nation and all this other nonsense. Just absolute false reality nonsense. None of it true in any way, but all of it something that supposedly everybody knows. And now all of a sudden, uniparty right and uniparty left were really working together, starting to say, oh, hey, uniparty leftist, I didn't realize we had so much in common. Are you prepared to say that you understand who has the wee-wees and who has the hoo-hahs? Because if you are, if you can just get there with me, well, then we can pursue our interests together, my friend, and move forward in peace and harmony. That's so great that you are willing to affirm that you know who has the wee-wees and who has the hoo-hahs. Are we best friends now? I think we are. And to tell you the truth, I don't know why we were ever fighting. I knew that you knew who had the wee-wees and who had the hoo-hahs. I was sure that we could at least come together around this basic fact and understand that for while we still have this grip on some level of cultural power, we should work together to snuff out all those Trump supporters as hard as we can. And the Uniparty finally had it. The opportunity to tell the world we have decided to unite against those awful Trump supporters, at least on this issue. We're going to still have some tickle fights here and there on some other stuff, usually stuff that has to do with wee-wees and hoo-hahs and will pretend to be religious and they'll be proud of how not religious they are and they'll call us racist and we'll make fun of their pronouns. But when it's time to come together and bomb some shit, we're going to be there hand in hand. What else is this uniparty for? Come on, we would never let you down. And that's about where we are right now. Over the weekend, we were told there was a terrorist attack by Hamas on Israel that a bunch of Israeli citizens, normal people were killed. Some Americans were killed. We saw buildings blowing up all over the place. Did they look like they were underground explosions rather than missiles targeting them? Yes, it sure did look that way. And we were told that citizens were pursued. We were told that a burning man style outdoor desert rave was attacked by paragliders. We were told that a bunch of terrorists simply executed this operation, evading Israel's security forces, the Israeli Defense Force, all of the apparatus they have set up, all of the defense mechanisms in Israel, one of the most heavily secured states in the world, incredible intelligence agencies, a top-notch military all of it. They just missed this one. Somehow they missed it. And now we've got more video footage of the attacks on the Israelis over the weekend than we have of the entire Ukraine war. And I'm not the first to make that point, but it absolutely is notable. Now, why is that? Is it because the Ukraine war is extraordinarily overblown in how we are told about it? Is the actual situation on the ground not remotely what we are told it is by our media? That's probably part of it. Would showing us more video blow up their narrative about 
Ukraine's capacity for success there? Very likely. Would seeing more video convince us that the Ukraine side is actually the side with Nazis committing war crimes? Well, it might, but then we get into much blurrier territory. We can understand how much the global regime and its global state propaganda media have lied to us about Ukraine, causing us to then doubt the entirety of the story while understanding the historical background of that region and understanding more than the media allows us to about Russia. We can understand all of those things enough to form opinions about what we should and should not do. And it's mostly should not without assuming or pretending that we know everything about the situation or that we know enough about the situation to be able to properly advise on the exact path forward. We can understand that we don't know that stuff and we can maintain a level of humility and where that humility leads is for us to say, we don't know enough about this issue. We don't know how to win a war for one side or the other. We don't have anywhere near the amount of information we would need to be able to make decisions about how the war should be conducted on any level at all. And we can still know that the United States should not be there and we should not be funding it and that we're being lied to by our leaders and the people telling us that we should go to war are the people who steal our elections and then cover up those stolen elections. The people telling us to go to war are the same people who were wrong about COVID and masks and lockdowns and mail-in ballots and election fraud and the very violent insurrection and vaccines. It's always the same people. It's always the same people pushing the same global regime agenda. It never has anything to do with the people. And if people disagree with the regime's proposed position on the issue, and every one of those proposed positions, by the way, is attached directly to that central narrative, the people can expect to be punished. People have mostly decided that they are either pro-Palestine for some reason, because in their equations, the Palestinians are the minorities. They are the victims of the whole situation. They deserve that land. These people have decided. And the people applying the successful emotional and reputational consequences to that set of people, those people who apply those consequences, those are the people who must be listened to. So all of those people who align with those consequences and are affected by those consequences, those people who do not want to face those particular consequences, they will align with that position. And on the uniparty right, there is the opposite position. You must be gung-ho for Israel, and you must talk about how you want the perpetrators just wiped off the map. There is no amount of destruction that would be unwarranted for this attack. We are being told that this Israel event over the weekend is Israel's 9-11. And what do they mean by that? Do they mean it's a false flag? Do they mean it is going to be the subject of countless false narratives? Do they mean there will be a multi-year long campaign of emotional and reputational consequences in order to keep people talking about the prescribed central narrative when it comes to this event? Because that's what it is for 9-11. That's what it was for 9-11. 
Were we told the truth about 9-11 by the sources of authority? No, of course not. Were we emotionally abused into going along with the story anyway? Yep. Did they use it to start decades of war, costing trillions of dollars, trillions of dollars being paid to the military industrial complex to guard what ended up being fields of opium in Afghanistan, setting up a proxy state for drug trafficking, human trafficking, weapons trafficking, and of course, money laundering, beginning new terrorist organizations. Did they just spawn those terrorist organizations on their own? Or did the evil twin faction of the United States help to create those terrorist organizations? Do they really want to tell us that this is Israel's 9-11? What are we supposed to make of that? And that's an awfully high standard. How are they going to be able to hold on to that? They already told us that January 6th was the next 9-11. We're just having 9-11s all over the place now. Throughout 2020, they kept telling us when the COVID numbers would rise, oh, that's 60,000 people. That's like 20 9-11s. Now, don't say that masks don't work or we're going to blame you for like 16 or maybe 17 of those 9-11s. That's going to be your fault if you refuse to stay home and stay safe or maintain a six-foot social distance in any public environment. But I think we're probably going to talk about this Israel thing for a while. I think that This is going to be a cultural conversation that lasts a little while. And I think everyone in society is going to get exposed to a bunch of it. Now, part of that conversation absolutely needs to happen because when we have a subject like Me Too, BLM, COVID, the election, the insurrection, Ukraine, and now Israel, that comes preloaded with an enormous amount of emotional and reputational consequence for failing to comply with the slogans in the central narrative. When we have a subject like that, we can be sure that a bunch of the country has never considered alternate viewpoints. That's where we're at right now, because a lot of people were responding to that emotional and reputational consequence and incentive structure before, and they would comply because they didn't want to deal with the consequences. And a lot of people, part of this awakening process is understanding. A lot of people have realized that that's how we got here. If you don't deal with the consequences, if you're willing to just go along and say the thing you're told to say, you are going to support the regime into destroying your life. A lot of people have begun to understand that. And as you understand that, you become less and less likely to comply and repeat the slogans within the central narrative. That is where we are moving right now. When that process isn't as effective for the regime, people begin questioning those regime narratives. And that questioning process, the disclosure process, the process of understanding, that takes a while. We've seen some of this playing out over years now. As the cycle of reruns continue, more people end up being exposed to the story. They begin to learn new things. Depending on how many times they've seen the rerun, they move to the next level. New people see the show for the first time. The lessons are taught over and over again. As more people learn them, more people communicate them. 
That means that more people join that entry level each time the rerun comes around. That means more people reach the next level on each successive rerun. And the awakening proceeds faster and faster on every cycle. We are going to reach newer levels of truth on this whole Israel thing. Now, some of you in the audience might know a whole lot more about Israel and Palestine than I do. And if you are a truther on those subjects, please feel free to consistently weigh in in the comments. Tell me if I'm getting things wrong. Steer me toward things that you think are important. If you are a truther on those subjects, if you're just someone who has memorized the history of that region and you are very pro quote unquote one side or the other, I'm going to find that a lot less valuable because I will understand that you have accepted the regime's framing about the issue and you are operating within the central narrative. I don't need someone else to tell me what the TV says. Now, if you've memorized all of the history on that region and you think it's possible that you might not know everything about the region and not fully understand the geopolitical consequences of something for which you have probably been lied to about for decades, then obviously feel free to join the conversation. But I don't need to hear from people who are going to try to firmly reattach me to the central narrative. If it was true, the television probably would not be saying if it was true, they wouldn't need the emotional and reputational consequences for the failure to believe it because people would glean the information straight from reality. We could figure it out just based on what was really going on, applying logic and our understanding of human nature to events rather than assuming that what was printed in textbooks and disseminated by global regime funded colleges actually represents some sort of tangible reality and represents knowledge by which we could guide ourselves in understanding the world. We can see pretty clearly that's not the case. So I don't pretend to be any kind of expert about this whatsoever, but I am someone who's pretty good at learning some of this stuff. And I am someone who takes a big picture approach to geopolitics and has spent a whole lot of time thinking about these issues over the last few years and trying to understand that hidden reality, the thing that exists behind all of the propaganda and all of the spin and all of the bullshit coming from the academy, from the experts and from the people on TV. And if I am at least somewhat accurate in my understanding of these things as they happen behind that screen of propaganda outside of all the emotional and reputational consequences, then I think that's probably a better starting point than having a full understanding of quote unquote, the history as told by the regime and disseminated through the academy or through media. And so what we're going to do is try to learn about these situations and discuss them with some level of humility and at all cost. We are going to resist the urge to accept the framing of the punishment structure, because the thing about their punishment structure, the emotional and reputational consequences 
is they're not very good at actually applying the punishment, especially not if someone stands up and says to everyone involved, this is what is being done to me. Stand up and say it. Stand up and say, I will not be called a bigot by a bunch of retards. Because the true thing is, the people pretending to know what they're talking about are masking with all of their assertiveness and aggression that they don't know what they're talking about. Or perhaps they do know what they're talking about and they are lying to everyone because their incentives are not the same. Their incentive could be for World War III. There are probably some people that want to see that happen in the Middle East. They could want World War III because they don't care what happens over there. It's not religious to them at all. They could simply be supporters of the military industrial complex and think that this massive conflagration will only engulf that region and only the particular parts of that region where they, as the global regime, actually go and take out their enemies, which are not Israel or Hamas. Their enemies are sovereign individuals and sovereign leaders who want sovereign nations around the world because their project is a one world global regime. And they don't lie about that at all. That one world global regime is what enriches the military industrial complex. So of course, those are indistinguishable and ultimately part of the same thing. Again, the fact that it is quote unquote, the U S acting at any given moment makes no difference. That is the evil twin faction of the U.S. We don't have to go along with what they want because they pretend to speak for America at that moment. They are not America. They are not even in a great sense American. They are globalists. They have already in effect in their philosophy, in their ideology, and I would imagine emotionally as well, rejected America as a country and as a concept. They want to subsume the country into a one world global order because they believe that is how they bring peace. That is how they save the environment by eliminating a whole lot of people. And that is ultimately how they build the technology that will allow them to live forever in the cloud. They are not asking for money so they can defeat Hamas on behalf of Israel because otherwise Israel will be destroyed. They are not asking for money to defeat quote unquote Iran on behalf of Israel because otherwise Israel will be destroyed. That's not what they're doing. They're asking for a never ending flow of money because they're worried that the Ukraine flow just got turned off and the Afghanistan flow got turned off in August of 2021. The timing of this is no surprise. It's only days after Speaker Kevin McCarthy did not survive a motion to vacate and is no longer Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. They're not sure if they're going to be able to continue funding Ukraine. Joe Biden mentioned, as I played for you last week, that maybe there would be another way to continue funding Ukraine outside of asking the Congress who appropriates money for the money. It's no surprise that this comes just weeks after Joe Biden sent $6 billion to Iran while trading an equal number of hostages. He just basically gave them $6 billion as Obama had given them billions of dollars before. 
It's no surprise that something like this eventually comes on the heels of Joe Biden's disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan, leaving all of that equipment over there. Now, again, that's the face value interpretation. That is not what I believe is happening or did happen in Afghanistan. That's a separate subject. And it's no surprise that this comes just a week or so after the reporting in Semaphore and Iran International about Iran's influence operation in the United States via Robert Malley. This is the Iran Experts Initiative we discussed from the article in Semaphore. The scope and scale of the IEI project has emerged in a large cache of Iranian government correspondence and emails reported for the first time by Semaphore and Iran International. The officials working under the moderate president Hassan Rouhani congratulated themselves on the impact of the initiative. At least three of the people on the foreign ministries list were or became top aides to Robert Malley, the Biden administration's special envoy on Iran, who was placed on leave this June following the suspension of his security clearance. So on our side, we understand that there are some political points to be scored. We know that Biden and Obama are legitimately very bad. We know that they are the cause for these problems in many ways in the Middle East. And we can certainly score plenty of political points against them for all of this. Their actions lead to all of this. But they aren't the only ones. These problems aren't only problems of the left. And we don't want to analyze any of this in that obsolete left-right, red-blue, Republican-Democrat paradigm. That's not how the world works. That's how we're told the world works so that the controlled opposition paradigm can be set up and then our opinions will be divided and flow into one of two camps depending on how we like to publicly identify ourselves and on the emotional and reputational consequences we are prepared to deal with and which ones we're not. Which fight would we like to have? This is the opportunity right now for the uniparty right to call the uniparty left racist. See, you say that we don't like black people. Well, now we're saying that you don't like the Jews. You are anti-Semitic. In fact, anybody who doesn't agree to go to war immediately. In fact, anybody who doesn't encourage war against these terrorists immediately is an anti-Semite. You have to want to watch us obliterate all those people in Palestine, or you're an anti-Semite. In fact, we're going to obliterate a bunch of people all around the Middle East. We're going to call them terrorists. And then you will say, oh, well, if they're terrorists, it's okay. But hey, guys, they just called you terrorists two years ago, and they're still kind of calling you one today. They're publicly making justifications for why you should be totally excluded from society why they're allowed to go round you up and imprison you. And how about that? The people calling you terrorists are the ones who said we had to go to war to defend Ukraine. And who were they joined by in that effort? The same people telling you we have to go to war right now in Israel. Why? To kill terrorists. But not you. You're like a different kind of terrorist and you're American. We're not going to kill you yet. But then... There's this today from Ben Shapiro. If you both sides this, if you but insert false history this, if you it's time for a ceasefire this, you 
are part of the problem. Well, how about that? The king of Jews on fake conservative radio says that you are not allowed, not allowed to say that both sides do things wrong. That's not allowed. Now, I'm not making that claim. I'm just pointing out you're not allowed to say that. I am not saying that. So I'm not personally offended by this. I don't care what Ben Shapiro says, which helps, but I'm not saying both sides. So that's not me. He's describing if you, but insert false history, this again, this is a version of both sides. This is what people did in Russia, Ukraine. We were very, very bad people for doing this with Russia, Ukraine. We started talking about the fact that the Obama-Biden administration overthrew Ukraine's government in 2014 and placed a puppet government in there. And at that point, an ethnic civil war broke out between CIA-funded and trained Nazis and people in the Donbass who were almost exclusively Slavic ethnic Russians. And of course, John McCain and Lindsey Graham were on board with those Ukrainians. So the Obama-Biden admin overthrew Ukraine. The power structure on the uniparty right supported CIA-trained and funded Nazis in an ethnic civil war in Ukraine. And we're not allowed to talk about that history. We're not allowed to talk about NATO's encroachment toward Russia. We're not allowed to talk about ignoring the Minsk Accords. We're not allowed to talk about the fact that Putin has proposed peace and none of this ever had to happen. You see, that's inserting the false history. Ben Shapiro will say that that history doesn't matter because X or Y or Z emotional reason. And therefore, your history, which is the actual history, is the false history because it doesn't matter to Ben Shapiro. And Ben Shapiro, of course, is one of the regime's experts on all of these subjects. So who are you to speak in the presence of Ben Shapiro? You are not allowed to bring any of that up in discussion of Israel because your history would be a false history. Ben Shapiro's history is the one true history. Ben Shapiro is actually the keeper of the one true history, and that's why he gets a million dollars a week to lie to you about COVID shots. He says, if you it's time for a ceasefire, this you are part of the problem. You are not allowed to call for a ceasefire. Israel has been personally offended on behalf of Ben Shapiro, and they are allowed to wage a never ending brutal war until people like Ben Shapiro decide that some point of proper retribution and proper compensation has been reached. Israel has destroyed enough, whatever they see fit, they are allowed to destroy once they have filled their appetite for destruction then the thing can end, but you are not allowed to say, particularly in this early moment when emotions are so raw, you are not allowed to say that a ceasefire should happen. Any calls for peace will mean you are an anti-Semite. You are an anti-Semite until Israel, in quotes, bombs as much as they want, kills whomever they want, as long as they are down in that region, and creates as much instability in that region as they want. You have to say yes without thinking. You have to delegate your moral authority to someone else, defer to them, allow them to make the decision on your behalf. You need to remain silent as an American citizen until Israel has destroyed as much as it wants 
or else you are an anti-Semite. That is just how it works in our democracy. That is the global regime speaking through Ben Shapiro. They are demanding permission for whatever it is they want. And they are speaking on behalf or pretending to speak on behalf of actual Israeli people, which are not the same thing as Israel, quote unquote, when it is spoken out of the mouth of Ben Shapiro. Israel, as it exists right now, as the borders were drawn in the aftermath of World War II by that very same global regime. I mean, who are we supposed to pretend drew those borders? That is not exactly the same as the biblical Israel, the historical Israel, when it became obvious that uniparty right Republicans, not America first Republicans, uniparty right Republicans, were going to use this Israel issue to try to get Kevin McCarthy reinserted as Speaker of the House. And we have future Speaker nominee and Trump indoor C, Jim Jordan, saying things on Twitter like, rockets are raining down on Israeli towns right now. We need to immediately help replenish Israel's stockpile of Iron Dome missiles to protect more innocent civilians from getting killed. Let's make sure Congress can unite and assure Israel has what it needs to destroy Hamas. It became pretty clear exactly what's going on here. They want the speaker put back in. They want to have the military industrial complex do more. Jim Jordan was out on Sean Hannity, out on Fox News, saying these same things. I said no speaker until our elections are fixed. Do not get shamed into supporting the rubber stamping of Jim Jordan as speaker. The entire body is illegitimate and there is nothing they can do to help America for the foreseeable future. They are committing the American people to indentured servitude to support globalist proxy states on behalf of the people who steal our elections. Wake up, America. And nothing could be more obvious. That is exactly what they are doing. They want more regime fiat money created out of thin air, labeled as the American dollar. And they want that spent on behalf of their proxy states to wage military efforts with no end wherever they see fit. And Larry Schweikert, a Trump supporting historian who I have a great deal of respect for, said Israel is not a globalist proxy state. It's God's proxy state. And I responded, it's both things. The one they're trying to start a war for is the globalist proxy state. And there are two ways to look at that statement. One of them, is to consider that at the very top of this evil global regime, what many people call the global cabal, there may indeed be atheists among those people who nonetheless want to see the historic religious lands taken over, potentially destroyed. They want to eliminate God from the world. There is absolutely no doubt about that. And maybe they actually have a religious motivation to do that. Leaving that aside, the primary political motivation for people aligned with those people, but not of the same belief system, is simply to maintain the globalist power within Israel, the evil twin faction of Israel, Israel as the globalist proxy state whose borders the regime drew after the end of World War II. That is separate from Israel's Jewish population and the nation, as in tribe, of Israel. 
And it's important to keep that distinction in mind because one of those things is absolutely the evil global regime stronghold and proxy state. And the other one is Israel's version of MAGA, essentially. There is a reason that I have been saying everything is two things for so long. That good twin, evil twin dynamic exists in everything, and it certainly exists in Israel, and it's not remotely anti-Semitic to say that. I want nothing but the best for the Israeli people, for people in Israel who want to be sovereign citizens in a sovereign nation and lead good and moral lives and raise families and teach them their values I wish nothing but the best for those people. We can keep those people in our prayers and want no harm to come to them in any way. We can want their enemies to be vanquished. I am down with absolutely all of that. I do not feel any bigotry toward those people, and I do not even know how I could. I do not understand how anything I say or might say could in any way be described otherwise, but That doesn't mean I don't think they'll find ways to do it because the emotional and reputational consequences for going against the regime on this particular subject are, were, and probably will be for a while quite severe, or at least they project the consequences to be severe. Are the consequences severe in real life? Well, hey, I guess we'll find out, but I'm not going to change the way I talk about it or think about it just because now it's Israel. Ooh, I have said the magic words and now everyone has to shut up and do what I say. It's like it's some sort of trance that everyone's under. Oh, there's been these videos of violent activity in Israel, we are told. Therefore, you have to abandon all decision-making authority, all moral authority, delegate it, To the experts, the experts on this subject will tell you how you must react. And it turns out that all of these people agree with the experts on all the other subjects on how you must act. So if you just obey this set of people all the time, that's what's going to be best. If you even consider thinking about any of these issues for yourself, honestly, it's just a waste of time. Listen to the experts, post what we tell you to post. Say what we tell you to say when you are asked to say it and everything's going to be just fine. Why would you even bother wasting your time learning or thinking about any of these issues when you're not allowed to say the conclusions you would obviously draw from studying these issues? I mean, let's be honest. If the conclusions agreed with the things the television was saying, they wouldn't need the emotional and reputational consequences in order to get you to say it. You just say it naturally. As it emerged from the world, you'd say, oh, I know what that is. Why don't I go ahead and say what that thing is? You can't do that because you're going to be punished. Everything is two things. The United States is two things. Israel, of course, is two things, and we can say that, and we can be honest about it, and we can talk about those two things. We can be focused on what's the best possible outcome for normal Israeli people, for Israeli Jews, for people from Israel and in Israel. What is the best thing for them? Well, I don't know what the best thing for them is because A, not an expert, don't pretend to be. I also, more importantly, 
don't pretend to know what's best for people who aren't me, but I do have a pretty good idea of what's worst for them. What is worst for them is increasing the power of the global regime in any circumstances anywhere. That is the thing most likely to guarantee the continued suffering of free people wherever that global regime becomes more. If I actually hated Israeli Jewish people, I would be wishing more power for the global regime in Israel, because that would lead to the subjugation of any free people. And that could be, by the way, why the regime has been staging color revolutions in Israel for months now. Are we supposed to pretend that's not any part of this, that this isn't the public optical display to show the world that whatever the regime wants to do in Israel is now justified and you can't say a goddamn thing about it, or we're going to call you an anti-Semite and use all the levers of power we have in the global regime to destroy you. That's exactly what's happening here. Now, again, why would you want to distract from true stories about reality? And why would you attach emotional and reputational punishment to people who will not repeat those stories if the stories were true. And if the stories were true, if they were as dramatic and brutal and important as all the people who are using them to support a war effort say they are, why are they using these situations to get all of these other goals accomplished? Why are they using this to try to get the Speaker of the House of Representatives restored as Speaker? There's been a major push for this all weekend. Some absolutely cucked out Republican from New York. This guy is one of the worst online. I mean, this guy is just a full on regime supporter in the Uniparty. He's not even Uniparty right. He's essentially just a Uniparty leftist with a little R next to his name so that they can cheer about how they're winning elections in New York. He's been pushing to try to bring back Kevin McCarthy, and he has been since Saturday. And the effort has grown quite a bit. Jake Sherman from Punchbowl, certainly not a MAGA guy, has been reporting on this all morning on X, one of his tweets from late this morning responding to a news conference given by Kevin McCarthy, trying to make him look like the calm, sane leader. He is the old hand who knows exactly what he's doing. Bring him back in if you want to see the best possible outcome in this whole process. Kevin McCarthy is your guy. Jake Sherman says it's very clear from this news conference that McCarthy wants to be speaker again. He says he'll let the conference decide who unites them. He isn't directly addressing what he would do if nominated, saying it's a decision for the conference. Many of McCarthy's allies have endorsed other candidates, but McCarthy is doing nothing to discourage his allies from nominating him. And so last week, they told us that a new speaker would not be decided upon until this week. They would take a week to go back to their district, talk to their constituents. None of them did that. And then they would come back and discuss who the new speaker was going to be. Kevin McCarthy came out immediately after the motion to vacate was successful, and he said he was not going to run again for speaker, but he wasn't going to retire from Congress. He was just going to see what he would do. He was going to continue raising money for candidates and supporting the Republicans who he's always supported. He was going to take it like a champ and keep working for the good of the country. 
And now they're trying to reinstate him as speaker. So he steps back and says, oh, no, I would never want to do that again. I respect the process. And then they say, hey, Kevin, what if we show the entire country that Israel was attacked? Then would you come back and help us get that money? And it seems like the answer there is yes. So now, in addition to what we talked about on Friday, now when Matt Gates fails to rubber stamp Jim Jordan immediately or fails to rubber stamp Kevin McCarthy immediately. Not only will MAGA in America first be committed to helping Democrats, even though the Republican establishment literally helps Democrats all the time. They are the uniparty right next to the uniparty left. It is their goal to support the same exact agenda and market it differently. But not only will we be told we help Democrats, now we will be anti-Semitic and helping Democrats at the same time. Last week, we were told that you can't be a Republican if you don't want Kevin McCarthy to keep being speaker. Days after he made a deal that brought half of the Republican conference over to Democrats, all the Democrats, so that they could commit the American people to trillions of dollars more spending to keep the government from being shut down, because what a disaster that would be. And now we'll be called anti-Semitic Democrats if we don't push for reinstating Kevin McCarthy so that he can fund Israel. Now, again, I can want good things for Israel. I can want good things for the Israeli people and the Jewish people in Israel and still understand that that's Israel. It's not America. And we're America first. And it doesn't change when you say, yeah, but Israel, you can be Israel first. I'm not Israel first. And the truth is there should not be anyone who is Israel first in America's government because it's America's government. Just like I believe there's no one who should be America first in Israel's government or the government of any other country. That country should have people representing it who will put the interest of their own country first. That's the point. And then they're even taking it a step above that. This is Ron DeSantis simp and degenerate moron Kurt Schlichter. If they have Americans, meaning American hostages, it has suddenly become America's fight. It has suddenly become our war. And I'm not happy about that. Don't pretend to be America first. If you're going to let third world savages rape, torture and murder Americans. And he misspelled almost all of this. Maybe he was drunk. And seriously, maybe he was drunk. He said, Instead, you're just a freaking coward. And Kurt Schlichter's feed is always just quote tweeting people trying to sound like the toughest Republican ever while supporting Ron DeSantis and lying about our elections. He's always talking about buying guns and ammo. He spent the entire weekend telling everybody who we should bomb. Just bomb this, bomb that, bomb this, bomb that. Let's kill these brown people. He's like doing the whole thing. It's really, really very, very stupid. And now he's decided that we can't be America first because now we're told there are American hostages over there. And if there are American hostages, that changes everything. Now we actually do have to start World War Three immediately. We can't allow those hostages to just stay over there and attempt to negotiate for them or anything like that. What are they going to do? 
have Joe Biden pay $6 billion for these hostages? Well, that never works. We're going to have to go to World War III. We're going to have to start a kinetic World War III so that the entire Middle East becomes one vast and never-ending conflagration. The entire area has to become scorched earth because now you've been told that there are American hostages there. And as an America first supporter, you now have to support Israel first. We said hostages. Now you are Israel first. And I understand that people might be a little put off by my sarcasm right now because it's a very serious issue. Yeah. Well, if it's a very serious issue, why are people talking like Ben Shapiro and Mike Lawler and Kurt Schlichter? Why are they trying to influence who is the speaker of the house in America on what we've been told about and shown for three days in Israel? That means we need to choose a speaker of the house because we're shown this thing that happened this weekend in Israel paragliders attack burning man. So we need to change who the speaker of the house is. No, we don't. We don't need to do anything. We don't need to say what they want us to say. We don't need to influence our politics. We don't need to change our political opinions or our political motivations. We don't need to do anything regarding the speaker of the house other than what we were prepared to do before we were told this story. And what we were prepared to do before we were told this story was absolutely nothing. In fact, we're going to stay prepared to hold out and do absolutely nothing, no matter what you call us, because we're America first. And the best thing for America right now is to not fund another foreign war endlessly just because we were told we would be punished emotionally and reputationally if we failed to comply with the demands of the central narrative. And if Matt Gates and those Republican congressmen don't go along with their new scheme to put Kevin McCarthy back in there, what are they going to do? They're going to blame every Israeli atrocity on Matt Gates and MAGA. And so it's a matter of whether or not you are prepared to stand up and do what's right in the face of that, because it's not right to support a new war just because we've been told what's happened in Israel. And we've been shown some videos that upset us this weekend. If you do that, if you go along with this stuff, you are no different than a common Black Lives Matter supporter out there marching with a raised fist because they saw George Floyd die under a policeman's knee from fentanyl. I understand some people have some very strong opinions about Israel. And a lot of that is based on the history as they learned it. The history as they learned it was almost certainly false in one way or multiple ways or possibly all of the ways just based on knowing who gave you that history. And you can find links and news articles all over the Internet supporting your conclusions. I have no doubt are all of those links and articles supplied by the same global regime right now waging that regime proxy war in Ukraine wanting to wage another one to maintain their proxy state in Israel? Are we really supposed to believe that the same people who mandated the entire Jewish population of Israel get vaccinated with untested vaccines for a disease that couldn't kill them? We're going to pretend those people care about the lives of Jews in Israel? I'm sorry, I don't buy that at all. 
That sounds to me like they targeted the Jews of Israel for medical experimentation, just like they sent it out first to black people and the elderly in America. And the important thing to notice here is that all of this dynamic only exists if you accept that the sides are as they describe them and they're not. And you can see it everywhere else. There is no reason to believe that Israel is somehow exceptional and accepted from this paradigm. The sides are not conservative and liberal or Israel against the terrorists. They're not Republican or Democrat or red, blue or left, right. The sides are the global communist regime and everyone supporting that order versus sovereign individuals who care about sovereign nations in order to maintain their human liberty. The other side represents the end of human liberty. We know what the agenda is. They tell us about it all the time. Those are the sides, and it is true everywhere. It doesn't change because the television says this time it's really important, as they have for all of these other issues. This issue is just too important. You're not allowed to think about it. You're not allowed to disagree about it. You have to do what we say. This issue is just too important. You can't think for yourself. You have to delegate it. You delegate it to the experts. The experts are who we say they are. And those experts, they tell the story. They'll give you a couple options and you can decide which one you like best. But what the options aren't going to be understanding what the situation really is. That's not going to be an option. And you're not going to get to think about what the situation really is. You're not an expert. So here are the sides. These are the options. Choose one, whichever one feels right, and then stick to that. Fight for it as hard as you can. Tell the people on the other side that they want everyone to die. I mean, the truth is we do want everyone to die eventually and not everyone, just you assholes. And if you die while fighting each other over this whole Israel thing, all the better. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree, linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!